associated disorders. Be sure to talk with your child's doctor about proper screening and visit moretoadhd.com for additional information. That's moretoadhd.com. This message has been brought to you in partnership with Ada, ACO, and Chad. If you came across a child struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes, their age, the way they speak? Would you recognize a 13-year-old boy who gets into fights at school, not because he's a boy, but because he's hungry? Or a two-year-old girl who cries all night, not because she's sick, but because she went to bed without enough to eat? Or maybe a nine-year-old boy who hopes a friend invites him to a sleepover, not for fun, just so he can have dinner. Or a 15-year-old girl who goes for walks over lunch, so her friends won't know she doesn't have anything to eat? I am the one in seven American children who struggle with hunger. Kids you pass by every day, but never knew were hungry. I am child hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong. Well, good morning and welcome to Saturday in the Studio. I'm Tom King, joined by Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates here in Wausau. And we are here to take your financial questions, 715-845-2155. This is my first time behind the new equipment here in the studio, so we'll see how many times I can push the wrong button You know, this new equipment makes you look smarter, Tom. (laughs) I mean, you... uh, Until we start using it. You look enormously intelligent behind that thing. Yes, uh... indeed. All right. If you didn't hear the show yesterday, uh, you you didn't hear that we have had a a new equipment installed here in the studio to replace the uh, outdated uh, equipment, and it is... uh, it looks like a starship uh, yeah. in here now, right? And, and I'm guessing they installed it while you guys were live on air? Uh, no. Oh, no, okay. No, no, that, that didn't happen. And I think they did it in the overnight hours at some point. But uh, it's here, and it seems to be working right now. Yeah. We'll see when we try to get phone calls on the air how that works. But uh, I think it will. Uh, so let's, uh, let's dive in. I found an interesting uh, article on CNBC, mm-hmm. and it was actually a paid-for article by the NASDAQ uh, Stock Exchange. And uh, it says uh, the article is entitled Five Things Everyone Should Know About the Stock Market. And one of them they talk about, I thought maybe you could dive into a little bit. Mm-hmm. It talks about earnings driving valuations. At the end of the day, shares represent a part ownership in the value of a business. That valuation in turn is driven by current earnings and expected future earnings growth. In fact, a recent study by Bank of America found that over the long term, earnings explain about 80% of a stock price performance. Mm-hmm. The importance of earnings to company valuation is one of the reasons that financial statements showing company profitability and historic growth are so important. It's also why a lot of investors look at the price-to-earnings ratio and might say that stocks with a high P.E. ratio are rich. But sometimes those high P.E. ratios will be justified by a company's strong future earnings. Investors need to determine if growth forecasts are accurate. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a P.E. ratio, how do you determine what is current valuation and what is based on future growth and how do you know if those future growth uh, projections are accurate or not well first of all let's stop back and we say pe ratio means price to earnings it doesn't right. mean like you have to go to the bathroom <laughs> right sorry right. yes yeah, only one e not yeah, two that's yeah. right so a pe is simply <laughs> take the price divided by the earnings and it gives you a ratio and so from that you measure it against the rest of your competitors or what's inside of your sick or sic code uh, so, for example, if you have a P.E. ratio for a uh, manufacturing company like General Motors, and I'm just making up a name here for that, but I guess I really didn't because General Motors is a place. But if we take the P.E. ratio for General Motors, it's going to be a different P.E. ratio than would be for, say, uh, 
uh, Intel because they manufacture different things, just different stuff. So what you do then is you take a look at this PE ratio. So <clears throat> for example, a, a PE ratio for one industry at a 15 uh, might be perfectly acceptable, but it might be too high for another industry. Um, so if your PE ratio for the Tom and Merle company um, is at a 15 and for an identical type of company, a competitor for the uh, uh, Mike and Chris company um, is at a PE ratio of 10, our first question is, huh, is the Mike and Chris company underpriced or is the Merle and Tom company overpriced? And then from there, you have a, enough that you start digging into and saying, okay, what's happening with sales? Do they have long-term debt? What's the expansion? What are their plans for the future? What's the news and the information that goes on to that? And so this article really goes down to, Tom, something I've talked about in this program for nearly 20 years. <laughs> Can you believe that, my friend? Yeah, how about that? Holy cow. Um, is, is it, everything comes down to when you look at the, the stuff or a company or you're looking online, you're reading, oh, I like this company, where's the industry going, where's the economy going? You have to take all the political BS out of it. And I know that's difficult for you and I, Tom, because you know I'm on the good side, you're on the other side mm -hmm. of the political mm -hmm. spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you take the political out of it, it all comes down to are things supported by the numbers of the business that the company is doing and then the business that the economy is doing. And so from it, we have to look at what happens with the numbers, where's the economy going, what's happening with it. For, so from there then, we hopefully have the ability to determine and make better decisions as far as where we think the economy is going. So not only can you and I do it as individuals, Tom, and everybody listening, but we can also take a look at it. There are experts that are doing this stuff and have a lot more resources than you and I. And we find good ones. You stick with them and say, what's their, their opinions and their thoughts um, uh, as far as where the economy is going, where's the company going, et cetera, et cetera. But at all bases, it comes down to what does that company make um, as far as an income uh, and, and where is it going into the future? Um, and there's a lot of resources for that. But all this stuff, folks, there's there's things called stock pricing models and options pricing models. And inside of these stock pricing models, they're, they're really pretty good. They put in, you know, what you have for a riskless investment, usually for the treasuries for an interest as a component of it. Um, what has the company done from a earnings per share model? Um, what are some of its competitors done? All these price models go in and give you some sort of a target price that you think the stock is supposed to be at. And so from there, then, you put into it and say, well, if it's high or low, where do we think it's going to go or what are their, uh, like they said inside this article, you know, what do we think is going to happen over the course of the next three months, six months, a year, and where do we think that stock has the possibility to go and you come with some sort of a price. Is it correct? Is it, uh, is it low? Is it middle of the road? Is something goofed up? Um, but it's actually relatively simple if you look at the economy and the markets in that fashion. How often are they right, though? Because how often <clears> have we heard... Uh, well, the so-and-so uh, company's earnings report, it was uh, economists thought it would be this, and it turned out to be not the case, or they, they thought the market would be up and it was down. Um, I, don't, I know you didn't watch The West Wing, but Martin Sheen's character was, a, was an economist before he became president, and they always made wide, wisecracks on the show about economists, mm -hmm. you know, basically guessing at times about what was going to happen. Well, the economists are the weather forecasters of the investment world. You know, same principle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it really kind of comes down to, um, economists are betting on what the, where the economy is going, not necessarily a company. A company is usually from some sort of a financial analyst. And if you look at the financial analysts, if you look at 10 of them for Netflix, none of them are going to be right. Um, but what you're going to find is a range of where they think it's going to go. Um, and so that's the direction you want to say. Is, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to pinpoint and say, this is going to be the price on this date. Um, but you'll be able to see what the trend is. Sort of like uh, um, um, we have a hurricane, you have all the different uh, models that says where that hurricane's going to go. But they do uh, 20 different models, and the general consensus is going to be where most of them point. So it's the same type of a uh, principle when you look at the investment world. 
the, uh, the, the economist world is, is a little bit different. i got to pick on them for a second because economists are looking at so many multiple factors and so many moving parts. Sometimes it surprises me that some of them actually get anything right. Um, but the ones that tend to work out well is the ones who take the politics out of it and just simply look at the numbers and where are the numbers going. And those forecasts tend to be better than others that have uh, some sort of a political leaning. Because, you know, economists like anybody else have some sort of a political leaning to it. And the political meaning, there's a certain amount of where you wish things would go and then where you think they're going to go and where the numbers say they're going. It looks like this week that uh, Janet Yellen will be uh, okayed as the uh, new, next uh, Treasury Secretary. Uh, Yellen, of course, coming from the Federal Reserve. She was the Federal mm-hmm. Reserve Chairman for I many years. I think she would be a good choice, by the way. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Well, yeah, what do you yeah. think she brings to the table, and and what do you think the Treasury Department uh, is going to, uh, how it's going to function under Yellen's uh, leadership? Um, I think it'll function very well. Um, Janet Yellen, at least from what I noticed, and I, I could be entirely wrong, but I, I always saw her to be some relatively cool and calm-headed when she was running the Fed. Um, I didn't see her doing a lot of knee-jerk reactions. Of course, nobody ever does anything 100% the way I'd want it to be done or somebody else. Um, and, and I liked that about her. She was uh, really cool and, and straightforward how she did stuff. Um, and I think Paul's the same way. I think Paul does a good job in the Fed, and I think Janet Yellen's going to do the same thing from the Treasury Department. Um, so many times in the Treasury Department, things tend to get relatively uh, politically motivated like anything else. But I think she's a pretty calm and cool uh, um, head in that position. Obviously, this Treasury Department is going to have different priorities and different ways of looking at problem solving when it comes to economic problems in the country. The stimulus packages are the the first example of that. Uh, So it is going to be different. It's different Uh, than running the Fed, most certainly so. Yeah. 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 All right, 715-845-2155, the number to call. If you have a question for Merle, give us a call this morning. We'll be right back on WSAU. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward. Maybe picturing you in your underwear. Don't make it more pressure-packed than it already is. Rush. Weekdays at 11 on WSAU. And we're back here in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. 715-845-2155 is the number to call. NASDAQ had a record week. In fact, a new record they finished at again on Friday. Uh, and you wanted to talk about computer chips a little bit. Certainly, chips make up a big uh, part of what the this what, is. Yeah, this is an NASDAQ. article that popped up to me. You know, one of the reasons it popped up is I saw the article a few days ago, and it actually comes to Barron's. Um, but yesterday we saw the uh, uh, Intel drop down because they missed some of the earnings, and and uh, they came out uh, after hours and said there was a, a mistake in how they were reported, uh, and it came out a little bit early. But nonetheless, his article on the side of Barron's is said by Max uh, Searney would be the name C H E R N E Y. Um, it said chips are in short supply, and here's the number one stock to pay uh, to play the shortage. Shortage. Now, I'm not out here touting, touting the stock, and I'll say the name of the stock because it's inside of an article. And I'm not telling you to go out there and buy it or none of that sort of stuff, folks. But the interesting part about this is what's happening with computer chips. When I'm talking about chips, I'm not talking about the good ones, which, by the way, I think ruffles right, right up there at one of the oh, best I was thinking, chips I was, out there. I thought that's you were it. talking about chips hamburgers up in Merrill. Well, or that's not bad. Yeah. you, you got to love that if you're from the neighborhood, you know. Um, but the chips inside of here are, of course, computer chips. And essentially everything we have has got computer chips inside of it right now. Uh, you know, right down to the headphones we're wearing probably have computer chips. I know mine probably do. Yours probably has some to some degree. Um, but there's everything has chips in it. So in here, uh, it comes from a, 
<laughs> no, the shaking are the rocks inside, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so City Research uh, put out a note, and they said, so one of the stocks that they said are really good is a company called uh, Avnet. And I'm not, again, telling you to go out and buy Avnet. But the thing that Avnet does is Avnet doesn't make any chips. They simply distribute them and get the chips out to different places. And so as a result of it, they talk about how good the company is going, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I don't care about that part so much as this. If we take a look at the chip shortages that are going around, one of the things that happened here recently is chip shortages prompted, and I'm reading uh, verbatim, a Ford Motor Company to halt production lines in at least one plant um, and pushed other car makers to find ways to have to stretch their semiconductor uh, uh, supplies. Um, you know, today's cars deploy dozens of chips on the inside. So if we take a look at the chip manufacturers that are out there right now, um, they're behind the game because they're not able to get more stuff out. Um, we're at home more, so we're using more things that have more chips more of the time because we're at home, whether through work, or education, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that car sales are even having a dif uh, difficult time. You know, the auto industry, for example, uses 12% of the of the, uh, uh, the revenue for this company, um, um, but uh, uses a ton of chips in it. So from that, you know, we look and we talk about, you know, are there places, folks, you know, that we see opportunities where, you know, something is not right and we have the ability to get in as things get fixed. And that might be one of those areas to do some research and some work on, folks, are chips. So um, we hear of, you know, the big ones of, uh, you know, Intel and AMD and that whole bit. But there's a lot of different chip manufacturers that are out there that are specialty for doing different areas. Throughout the course of this past quarter, we've heard Apple and Microsoft saying that they're going to start building their own chips. And my thought part of this would be is, is part of it because they don't have the supply that they can't get from other manufacturers that are going to start building their own chips, and that might be part of it. So I think that's something to uh, do some research if you're at home, do a home project and see if something in that neighborhood might be good for you. Because certainly over the course of the last few years, chip manufacturers have really uh, done well across the board for multiple reasons, and this might be part of it. We're running out of chips. We can't build enough for all the components and the things that we're building right now. We talked about earnings just a little bit ago. It's a big earnings week coming up. Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, <laughs> Tesla, and more than 100 other S&P 500 companies will report earnings in the biggest rush of earnings mm -hmm. reports this quarter. Yep. Um, if you're going to make changes in your portfolio and go after any of these companies, do you wait until after the earnings report comes out, or do you roll the dice and go beforehand? Well, if you're betting, you're rolling, you know, you're buying or selling ahead of time. Um, but I think it should be look at it, wait for the prices to come out and say, what are we going to do for the next few years? If you're going to try to buy something for a, a week or two, you've already made your decision up. If you're going to buy something for a quick turnaround of one month, two months, three months. Um, but I think you look at it, you get the earnings report, report as we just talked about and say okay so here's the earnings here's how much you're making how does that factor into the stock prices is it up or down do i like where this company is going do i like their products do i am I familiar with their products and then you buy that stock based on what's going to happen over the next two years three years that type of thing going out so i love the earnings season um, i like it to um, help put into my mind where we think the economy is going to go over the course of the next one two three four five uh, quarters going down the road Johnson & Johnson releases their earnings report on Tuesday. They, of course, uh, are close to coming out with a single-shot vaccine. Mm -hmm. And if that happens, I would imagine that uh, those vaccine doses will be gobbled up as opposed to folks who have to wait around for the second uh, dose of both Moderna and Pfizer. Um, Johnson & Johnson, I would imagine their earnings report is looking pretty bullish at this point. Um, I think so. Um, I haven't seen what they've run up in price, but I'm pretty sure that, pretty sure that they have. Um, uh, but we'll see. I don't know what the price point on their shot is, but I know that they're, they also, I believe, I believe I'm writing this, Tom, and you can confirm if you know, um, but I believe uh, the United States, 
government bought $100 million from them, too, I believe it was. So I think they bought it from three companies, and I think that was the case. But um, if that was the case, um, I would imagine that their uh, bottom line is going to have a great booster coming up over the course of the next quarter or two. Also, according to CNBC and Moody's Analytics, the uh, fourth quarter real gross domestic product report comes out this Thursday, and it's expected to show growth of 4.7 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, it's on estimate of 5.6. So, obviously, yeah. that's pretty good. It's phenomenal. Um, you know, usually for a year, uh, the target had been uh, throughout the course of the uh, Obama administration, and I'm not picking on one administration for another, but just to show you the direction we've gone. Uh, during the Obama administration, they were hoping that maybe they could get over three. Um, uh, Trump said, "I think we can get nearer four. Well, it came into uh, um, it came into about three, three and a half on average, which was tremendous. So when we're seeing a quarter that's coming on an annualized rate that could range between the four point four to the five point six that I saw, it's absolutely tremendous from the sense, especially since we shut the economy off last year uh, with the pandemic. With shutting the economy off, we expect we were going to have just tremendous growth rates. Well, I mean, what was the what was it?" Second quarter, third quarter, we had a thirty-three uh, percent yeah. increase. But you know, and that coming that back was, from that, that where was we coming were. back from where we were, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but um, but still sustaining that into the fourth quarter. You know, being at the four point four is huge. And if we do hit the five percent, that's phenomenal. And it looks like it's going to continue on to the first quarter. So this is coming from Brian Westbury out of First uh, First Trust out of Chicago. Um, their estimations are is because we're starting to get some of the stimulus that didn't happen until the end of December, really, that came, and potentially some more coming. That stuff's not going to get into the economy until first quarter, and they expect to have a real good first quarter uh, growth as well as um, a lot of this money is going to go into the goods and services, the economy, and discretionary spending and all that kind of stuff. And so it looks like the first quarter at minimum is also still going to be good. So I hope it continues that way. All right, 715-845-2155. Folks, we are here to take your questions regarding your portfolio, some investment advice if you need it. Today's the day to get it. Merle is here live in the studio to take your questions. We'll be back after this on WSAU. Hi, I'm Dr. Shelley Place with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. If you put off doctor visits during the pandemic, now is a good time to call your pediatrician and get caught up. Children and teens need regular checkups with their doctor to make sure their development is on track, to talk about nutrition and behavior, and to get the vaccines they need to stay healthy. It's safe and your pediatrician wants to hear from you. For more on children's health during COVID-19, talk with your pediatrician or visit healthychildren.org. Yeah. We're fighting alongside patients because we know one moment can change a lifetime. United by hope, we can end breast cancer. Join our fight save lives. And we are back in the studio. I'm Tom King, Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. The opinions voiced on this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your attorney, accountant, financial advisor, or tax advisor prior to investing. This show contains forward-looking statements which may not come true. Securities Investment Advisory Services offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. HBEC Incorporated and Kelch Associates are unaffiliated companies, and this program is intended for Wisconsin residents only. All right, let's go to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Hi, this is Nancy. Go ahead. Good morning. I question about uh, a variable. Okay. You're breaking up. You're breaking up a little bit. Okay. Variable annuity. Yep. Yes. Um, I am often suspicious of annuities, but our investment advisor is recommending we put half of our IRA 
into the Jackson uh, Financial or National Life Annuity. Okay. And I was wondering what your opinion is on these variable annuities. Uh, All right. Tell me what the other half was going to go into. It would stay in the IRA. IRA, mutual fund stocks, that type of thing. Yes. Okay. So, so here's the here's the question that pops into this. So, so let me ask you one more question. Um, what is the reasoning that's going inside of Jackson National? And then I'll tell you my opinions of, of variable annuities. Uh, because of loss concerns for losses principle. Protecting the loss of principle. Okay. So, so here's the thing on the variable annuities. Variable annuities can be fantastic items. We use them all the time in our office. But we use them to insure something. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So, so when you're going to insure something, variable annuities work out very, very well. Let me give you an example that we just did just recently. So we'd had a client, uh, and and uh, she was a, a uh, an officer, an accountant for a, a major company around here. So a number of years ago, she retired a little bit early. We took her IRA and we diversified it through a, a brokerage account, you know, with you know mutual funds and that whole bit inside. And uh, she finally came through and she said, well, I had a pension that was over a number of years and that stopped. And so with that pension, this is the amount that the pension was per month. I'd like to replace that. And given everything that's going on in the economy, I'd like to make sure that I have that money there no matter what happens. And so guess what? We put some money inside of there and we insured it. And guess what we used? We used a variable annuity, right, because we guaranteed that income stream for her. So in this, we did a number of different things. So if she passes away next year, the money still goes to her family and that whole bit. So we used a particular type of a rider called a guaranteed minimum withdrawal benefit rider. Now, um, with that, um, almost all companies have that. Um, Jackson is a fine company, um, so there's nothing wrong with the company. Now, if you're insuring the right thing, it's a great product. If you're not using it to insure anything, then you're just simply buying a product that has an extra expense in it for no purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wouldn't you so, call, wouldn't you so call protecting using, loss of principle uh, insuring something? <clears throat> that no, I, I can't understand, and I don't, and I'm not saying that the advisor for you. And was it Nancy? Yes. Okay. So Nancy, I'm not saying that the advisor is, is right or wrong or doing the right or wrong thing. I don't know that unless I can see it in front of me. Okay. But there are there are some versions where they say we're going to protect the principle just because they're using the annuity as a conservative investment. That's a different animal than if you're actually paying for a rider that will do something to guarantee or minimize the loss of the principal. So I don't know if they're buying a rider for that um, or what type of a program that it is. But a variable annuity in itself is not bad, but you want to use it to insure something. And so, Nancy, if, if any of this helps, I hope that it does. Variable annuities are okay. It, you just have to make sure you're insuring something. Otherwise, you're just incurring additional expense. Okay. All right. Thanks for All the right. call. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Nancy. Seven one five eight four five twenty one fifty five. Let's go right back to the phone. Good morning. Who are we talking to? This is Jim. Jim, you're on with Merle. Go morning, ahead. Morning, Jim. Yeah, Merle. I, I just I just uh, tuned on to your program, and uh-huh. I don't know if it's been covered, but I'd like your opinion on silver, gold, and Bitcoin. Silver. Oh, he he loves <laughs> to talk about silver and gold and Bitcoin. Oh yeah, it's good stuff. Um. Silver, gold, Bitcoin. First of all, silver and gold are different than Bitcoin. Um, so don't mix the two up. Um, uh, so silver and gold are as we know, they're silver and gold. 
So the thing I like about silver and gold is it tends to be an offset against inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the problem with silver and gold is that usually when you buy it, you have to buy such a premium, and when you sell it, you have to sell it at such a discount that you have to go up usually between 20 and 30% before you actually make any money on it. So if you as an individual investor think that gold or silver is right for you, I recommend buying it through an ETF that you can buy and sell like an individual stock. So Bitcoin, different animal, but the reason Bitcoin has recently popped into the words of uh, silver, gold, slash Bitcoin is people are saying, well, Bitcoin is the new replacement for silver and gold. And guess what? Bull. Kaka. Okay. Bull pucky, I think, oh, is what uh, Sherman Potter used to say on MASH. Yeah. Right. And so, so the reason for that is this. Um, you know, Warren Buffett, multiple other people said this past week, um, and, and I've said it for all along, Bitcoin isn't a real thing. Are people having is money going up and being made with Bitcoin? Yes. Is money being lost? The answer is yes. But if you're going to invest inside of Bitcoin, I, I, I tell people, and I'll say it to you uh, as well, Jim, um, you got to tell me what Bitcoin makes. Not what their price goes up for the, the coin itself, but what do they create? And the answer is nothing. Um, what's their corporate address? The answer is there isn't one. Um, and then what's their profit? The answer is still nothing. So Bitcoin is just nothing more than you're buying a digital currency that you have the ability to exchange with somebody else and their willingness to have the price. If we look at Bitcoin over the course of the last month, they're down 25%. Granted, it'd still be up for the next year. But what if you're the person who finally decided to invest a month ago, you'd be down 25% inside of your investment. So Bitcoin, I don't like because it is by every measure a bet. I can't see anything that tells me that there's any sort of quantifiable reason that Bitcoin, one, exists, and two, goes up for any value other than some people saying, well, it's a replacement for gold and silver. No, it's not. I can hold gold and silver. I can't hold Bitcoin. What percentage are portfolio would you suggest to be in silver and gold, G GLD or SLV? It's entirely up to the individual. Uh, many experts in this industry say you should have uh, not more than 10%. Some people say 5% should be the norm. Thank you very much. All right, you're thanks welcome, for the call. 715-845-2155. If you're not going to use silver and gold as a, a hedge for inflation and I just it boggles my mind every time you say the idea that you've got to buy it at a premium and sell it at a discount. It just mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense to me at all that that should happen. It's like used cars, same principle. <laughs> the uh, same thing. So what else can you use as a hedge for inflation as opposed to uh, to precious metals? Yeah, well, it's okay to use oil or uh, uh, blah, blah, uh, silver and gold as a, as an inflation hedge. It's okay to do that. Uh, there's also what's called you know I shares, which are for um, uh, bonds, uh, U.S. government bonds that have an inflation protection to them. The problem right now is we don't have much inflation. So, you know, we, we look at this stuff and say, well, geez, we're going to do this for a hedge of inflation and things getting rough. Well, it's not out there for the purpose that it usually is. And the other is oil and gas. And oil and gas, of course, is down too. Um, so with this, we see a lot of money you know, running over to the Bitcoin and, and, and going back and forth. But folks, Bitcoin doesn't make anything. They don't produce anything. They don't create any profit. They don't have a corporate address. In fact, look at this uh, uh, boy. He's an engineer of some sort. I forgot what it was, a software guy. He's got $260 million he's going to lose in Bitcoin because he can't call and say, I lost my password, because it doesn't exist. There's nobody there. Remember, it was invented by somebody who uh, nobody knows who they are. Um, uh, there's no way you can service it. And so I'm thinking to myself. You, you sort of I, feel I for the guy, don't you? That uh, He lost his password, and now he's got, what, two two guesses left? And he's reconciled himself to the fact that he's it's gone. The money's gone. Yeah, it's like I, lighting I, it on fire. 
I, um, I just keep going back to Forrest Gump, you know. Stupid is, stupid does. <laughs> I got, that's all I got. All right, let's, let's go back to the phone here. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Uh, good morning. The good reason morning. for my call, I would like the number for Merle Kelch's office. Okay, we usually give that at the end of the program. But they can... say it too fast. All right. Okay, you, you, if you're real, ready, I'll say it say nice it and really slow. slow you, and you have your pencil ready? Yes, I do. Okay. All right, it's 715-849-849. Okay. Eight, four, eight, four, or nine. Yep, 3600. 3600. Okay, 715-849-3600. Right. That's right. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for the call. Oh, you love that. I mean, that that's worth the price of uh, admission right there, right? Um, I'm done. Drop the mic. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what, after that, let's take a break here. We've got uh, this day coming up, and then we'll get back with more of your questions. Phone lines are open, 715-845-2155. We'll be right back on WSAU. Now, this day, here's Chris Conley. On the East Coast and the West Coast, a new invention was taking hold. <laughs> my brother. <laughs> so my brother has a long care snow and plow service and that type of stuff, and so and he's doing real well at it, and I'm really proud of him and my uh, nephew. Um, but when it starts snowing a lot and that whole bit, he says, uh, what are you doing tonight? And so, which means, you know, Hey, can you give me a hand? So, and it's, it's kind of fun to do. So I like, uh, I feel like, uh, remember Homer Simpson when he had the article, uh, the, the episode where he was Mr. Plow. So I, I kind of, you know, hum that song as I'm plowing snow. So it's a kind of a weird thing. We always have to have something that's mindless to do. And folks, remember there is a winter weather advisory in effect for most of the area starting at nine tonight and going till nine tomorrow morning. So two to four inches in most of the areas uh, that are hearing my voice right now. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to the phone here this morning. Good morning. Who are we talking to? Steve from Wausau. Hey, Steve, you're on the Go ahead. Uh, yeah, just uh, want to know about shorting a stock in relationship to that pharmacist in Milwaukee that uh, decided to take uh, the vaccine off the and and if I would have had that information before the newspaper reported or the radio reported it, would that have been inside information? Um, yes, yes, no, yes, yes, and no. <laughs> um, so so first of all, uh, shorting a stock is is you're basically placing a bet that the stock price is going to go down and you make money when it happens, without going through those mechanics of that. Um, you know, I don't. Did that pharmacist was he trying to short the stock? I don't know. No, no, he, about was, that. he thought that the uh, he. He's one, of, he's one of the conspiracy guys yeah, yeah. that thinks, okay. yeah, the vaccine was going to change your DNA. But yeah. uh, uh, interesting about this, Steve, is I don't think the stock really had much of an effect. Um, so, so that would be insider information if you knew ahead of time. Um, also, if you knew it ahead of time, you would have been talking to the pharmacist, which means you would have been a cons- you know conspirator, conspirator to the crime, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you'd probably go to jail and wouldn't need the money anyway, Steve. Um, uh, how do you? How do you short one? Is that just through a broker, or can you do that online yourself? You'd have to have a brokerage account someplace and be able to do so. Um, when you're shorting a stock, you're actually borrowing the stock from somebody else, and you're selling it for cash. Okay, So in the stock market world, you can borrow money, which is called a margin account, or you can borrow stock, which is called shorting. So in that, um, I would borrow the stock from uh, uh, the brokerage house, and when I borrow that stock at $10 a share, I sell it for $10 a share, and I put that $10 inside of my pocket. So my hopes are then is that stock goes down to $5 a share, so I can then repurchase that stock and pay back my loan um, of those number of shares of stock. And so if I buy it at 5 but I sold it at 10 I made a $5 per share profit. And so 
it, it works out pretty handy for doing some things like locking and gains and that type of stuff. Um, otherwise, a lot of people will short stock um, in bets um, you know, using puts and this type of thing. And so you have to be really mindful because if you don't do it right, you can also subs uh, sustain an unlimited loss if the stock price keeps going up. So if you buy it at 10 expecting to go down to 5 but it goes to 15 now you just lost $5 a share. And if it keeps going up, you keep losing more. So uh, the danger of it. So it's one of those things that if you're doing it, um, uh, make sure you're working with somebody who understands how the mechanics work of it. So I hope that helps you, Steve. Thank you. Thank All right. you. Thanks you're for the welcome, call. Sir. That's like, uh, you know, at a, at a craps table betting uh, against the shooter, betting the, the, don't, the don't pass line. And uh, a lot of people at the table don't like that. They consider it bad form. I guess in stock market investing, it really doesn't matter because the only one that's going to affect is yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but do, do a lot of people do that? Do they do they actually bet for stocks to go down? Is that part of a a, a, a strategy of, of investing that, that you would make part of your portfolio on there a regular are, there basis? Are, there are departments inside of brokerage houses that have short sellers. That's their only job is to look for stocks they think are going to go down. That has to be depressing work. You're you're looking for companies that are struggling, companies that are you know hemorrhaging money, companies that have uh, disasters happening within the uh, company walls. Yeah, that's got. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to get up every day and go look for for, for companies that are that are failing. That doesn't uh, the, sound very like very much fun. The, the, the departments also when they short a stock are also the guys that uh, do shorting against the box. We've talked about that, but just brief. Um, so if you bought a stock at a dollar a share and it went to ten dollars a share. These are probably guys like Gordon Gecko that I wouldn't like anyway, right? So. Well, no, these are actually normal guys here. Um, and so we, we've done this certainly inside of our office doing a short against the box. But um, so you bought a, a, a stock at a dollar a share and it went to ten dollars a share, and it's December first. You want to sell the stock, but you want to wait until after January so it passes the tax off to the next tax year. So then you go through and you make a short position, or you sell a short position at ten dollars per share. So you take that profit, and then you wait until after the first of the year because you already own the stock, so you don't have to buy it again. Then you unravel your position. You guaranteed your gain regardless of what happened with the stock market. You guaranteed your gain but pass the taxes on to the next tax year called shorting against the box. And so those you know weird guys that they have, and they've got you know the little half hats with the green visors, and they lock them back in a room someplace, and every once in a while they throw them a couple of ding-dongs and ho-hos or a slot in the door. Um, and those guys, uh, they uh, get all fired up about themselves when they get a shorter position. Have we, like have we found that uh, computers can do a lot of that work now? Well, yeah, but it's more fun with my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. 715-845-2155 is the number to call here if you have a question. We've got a few minutes left here with Merle. Wanted to touch on a couple of things I saw. CNBC has a, has a, has a uh, column by Michael Santoli. It says, the stock market is at or near the most expensive levels ever by most measures. When will it matter? And I guess that when will it matter question is, uh, when will the correction come? And uh, mm -hmm. when should you start to realize that maybe you need to pull back a little bit? You're always, you're always a bullish guy when it comes to the market in some form. Is mm -hmm. there any time when you start looking at it from a bearish perspective and say it's time to take a step back? Well, I, I always do. Uh, in individual stocks, I'll, I'll go through. In fact, we had the conversation a couple of times with a few clients this week and said, well, um, uh, one of them bought uh, UPS this past year and throughout the, the calendar year of last year, he was up over 80% with UPS. Um, he said, should I take some money out? I said, do you think 80% is enough in a year? <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. Well, then maybe take some money out if yeah. that's your point. You know, yeah. so so he decided, okay, I'm going to take some profit. So we took some profit back and, and we bought a couple of other positions for him. And so sometimes it's okay to look at that and say, okay, we're going to take some money out, we're going to take some profit back. But if you're buying a portfolio for a long term, I'm okay with that and letting it sit in a sense that 
um, um, we have to look at it and say, you know, does the economy matter? Is the economy going someplace? In the words of Jim Cramer, there's, you can always make money inside of the marketplace, and he always wants to try to identify that place. And I agree with that. You can always find some place that you can make some money inside the marketplace. Um, uh, but in there, you have to look at where's the price. Um, uh, uh, it, should we take some profit at some point in time? And the answer is yes, it's okay to take profit. There's nothing wrong with taking profit. Um, but largely, I want to know how are we going as, as an economy. If the economy is going down, you can still shift your investments to someplace uh, that can make some money. And even when you're going into a recessionary period of time, there's still companies that make money because of what they produce. And it's okay to still own those companies. There's not a problem with that as long as we continue to keep moving forward. So the earnings season that we are just talking about is is one of the big things we look at because this is going to look at the earnings season and say, are the earnings that our companies are building right now, are they supporting where the stock price is and the stock market at this point in time? So we'll Tradi- see that in a few Traditionally, weeks. when people are going to take money off the table and the fear of correction is coming, uh, where do you go with that money now at this point? At this point in time, with what you see the, the market at, with what you see the economy happening in the economy, mm-hmm. if you're going to take money off the table like your, uh, your client with UPS, where do you go with that money at this point? There? Well, you know, it's like anything else. Um, Let's say we, uh, and, and I'm, I'm picking something just because I know the number off the top of my head, folks. Let's say we own uh, ExxonMobil. And ExxonMobil, uh, because their stock price has come down here in, in recently, um, their their uh, dividend is paying is at 6.8% is what their dividend is. So I'm not recommending you buy this stock, folks. This is an example. So if we say, okay, we're going to sell ExxonMobil because their price came down, they're paying a 6.8% dividend at this price. We're going to sell them and put the money inside of the bank. Well, what's the bank paying? Nothing, like nothing, they normally point two yeah, or point yeah. four, or if we continue to hang in there with that stock, if we think that ExxonMobil is going to go back up again, we're going to continue to receive that dividend along the way, which is going to be higher than we'd receive on that money inside of the bank. And so, is that something we want to look at? Well, there's certainly risk involved in one versus the other. The bank doesn't have any risk, and the, the stock does have volatility risk. But that's the type of stuff we have to look at and say, well, if we're going to get rid of something, just as you said, where are we going to put it? And, and there's not a lot of places to put it right now. We we don't want to. You know, bond prices right now are overpriced, and, and uh, uh, the prices have gone up this past week as the yields are dropping. There's money coming into the U.S. in that marketplace. And now that um, the uh, Mega Millions and the Powerball have both been won, you don't yeah, want to invest and, in and, lottery and, tickets. And it wasn't point. me, but I was close, Tom. I was just <laughs> this close. I was one state and one number. Well, actually, I only had one number. Uh-huh. But I mean, you know. All right. Um, but, you know, you look at it, so where do we go with the money becomes the case. And so what do we do differently then from where we had the money before? So we can take the profit, but then we go to do with it. Do we just simply let it sit there inside of cash? And so all that stuff has to be considered. So talk carefully with your financial advisor when you're doing this stuff. You know, what do we do? If we're going to sell something, we're going to buy something, what are we going to buy? What are we going to sell? How do we do that? Because you don't want to have it just doing nothing and just simply sell it to the cash because the stock market goes up. Well, now you've just got your hat handed to you and you've lost a tremendous amount of opportunity. So you have to look at where's the next place we're going to go with the money. All right. We're out of time for today. If folks want to get a hold of you on Monday, very slowly, read the phone number now. Very slowly. You can come visit us on 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street. Stop on in at 3rd Avenue and Bridge Street. Uh, say hello to hi to Mary and have one of our uh, world famous cups of coffee. You can give us a call 715-849- 3600, toll free outside of the Wasa area at 866-355-5100 or find us online at kelchandassociates.com. All right, we'll talk to you again next week. See you next week, buddy. Merle Kelch, Kelch and Associates in Wausau. We've got the news on the way. The Polka Show is coming up as well. And it's Badger Basketball this afternoon. Wisconsin facing Ohio State. Pre-game show right here at 2 o'clock on your Badger station. AM 550 WSAU.